Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When I was in the years old, when I was dedicated to the cause of Lucifer, I was at that point a generation witch. I was laying there, practically, and I had her hold me as if I was me. I couldn't talk, I couldn't open my eyes, I, I believe my eyes were rolling back in my head. There was evidence of human sacrifice on this fight. One of my first questions I asked was, God, I've heard that thing like a billion times yeah. by now, but it still just gets me every time. <laughs> We're over here rocking our heads. <laughs> hey guys, welcome back to Conspiranormal. It's your host, Adam Sane and producer Rob on the ones and twos. Yeah. <laughs> man, man of many words <laughs> tonight. Yeah. They were making fun of my uh, my mic check voice earlier. <laughs> so apparently I get do deeper it. and manlier. Do it real quick. Hey, hey, check, check. Hey, hey. <laughs> He was doing it earlier with the <laughs> echo on it, just reverberating across the room. And of course, Luke Skywalker, actually, actually, Skywriter. actually uh, also known as the Roman row god, apparently, <laughs> taking pictures of himself in, uh, I, in togas. I took, I took a picture of waking up and the blanket was on me just right. And I look like a Roman bro god. So I had, to, <laughs> I had to throw some filters on that bee and throw it on the wall. You know, Is, is that a technical term, Roman bro god? It is now. <laughs> I coined it. <laughs> well, you are definitely the Roman bro gods of all <laughs> Roman bro gods. Um, guys, an eventful uh, time off. Uh, about over two weeks since we did the show. Last one with Walter Bosley on the breakaway civilization. And been, uh, of course, you know, in this election season, there's a lot of stuff going on. And uh, you, we've had some, some shooting incidents. Something that uh, I might kind of briefly touch on later, but the biggest thing 
Well, until that happened, for me personally, the biggest thing that has happened lately has been the uh, Justice Scalia passing away on February the 13th. And there was, there's that kind of threw things up in the air, especially in an election season for the guy that just kind of just pass away. And so now you're hearing a ton of rhetoric. Uh, first of all, Scalia was about seven, well, he was about 79 years old when he died. I mean, that's, that's a pretty decent age to, uh, if you're going to kick the bucket, I mean, you've had a nice long life. Uh, but what has kind of happened, two things. The first thing is, has been all the conspiracy theories that have come up about Justice Scalia. Because apparently on the Drudge Report, I think about two days after they said something about how Scalia was found with a pillow on his head. Yeah, I'd heard about that a little bit. Yeah. So a lot of uh, really right-wing conservative talk shows... And you know, on this show, we don't we don't really have, I think, like a label. I don't like the label right wing. I don't like the label left wing. So I think we kind of we kind of look at things like more fair and balanced, just like Fox News does, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> he made it funny. <laughs> so it, you know, I hate to use that label, but for lack of a better term, the right wing shows. Some people like. Uh, uh, Michael Savage and Alex Jones <laughs> screaming about how Scalia was murdered. Uh, of course, for Alex Jones, you know, it's right there in Texas. And I believe like Big Ben National Park was where he died. And of course, everybody's blaming it on Obama. <laughs> and Obama killed him. Okay. And Obama did kill justice <laughs> in a metaphorical way. Well, yeah, okay, but, it, you know, this is what, it's really coming a lot from a lot of, I've heard a lot of kind of Christian right-wing sources, and saying that the the reason that he was killed, if he was killed, was because, you know, Scalia was, was traditionally very right-wing uh, last year in the whole uh, gay marriage debate, the gay marriage ruling. He was one of the ones that dissented from it, and I believe that he might have authored the the dissent. So that's just one example. Scalia was very well known for uh, being on the conservative side. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, one of his most controversial, I think he was very he was very instrumental in the ruling in Bush versus Gore in the year two thousand, where they basically said that Gore Gore's people could not count the ballots. And that was Scalia was one of the people that was instrumental in ruling that. So that was very controversial as well. You know, was, you know, a lot of people think that Bush bought that election because it was such a close election. And then Scalia was, was on their side. Like they bought out a a Supreme court justice, you know? Uh, So now you kind of have where Obama in his last year in office is going to have the opportunity to nominate another judge. He's already nominated two. Right. So this, the, f- the this f- is unprecedented, right? Right. <laughs> yeah, it's unprecedented. <laughs> <laughs> but that's going to upset the balance. So right. that's why you have so many scre- so many people screaming about uh, Obama possibly killing Scalia to 
A, to get him out of the way so he could appoint another liberal gay-loving judge. And second, uh, and, and second because apparently Scalia had been also instrumental in ruling against this a climate change bill that the Supreme Court had up that it was unconstitutional. And that was really strange because they were talking about it on Bill Maher, and I was watching... Now, Bill Maher usually comes on and airs on, on Friday, Friday nights. Scalia died on a Saturday. And Bill Maher made some comment about Scalia saying, do we really have to push every push everything by Judge, Judge Scalia? And then the next day he died. That was real weird. Uh, so anyway, that's that's the other conspiracy theory. Now, Rob, you did say something about it being unprecedented. Yes. Because yes. here's the other <laughs> thing. The Republicans in Congress are saying that we, Mitch McConnell is the one leading it in the Senate, saying that we should uh, we should wait until the new president is installed yes. to appoint a justice. It's an election year. It's too close to the change of hands. That right, right, exactly. So that's so apparently in some people's minds that uh, don't look at things as historically as we do on this show. Uh, the only other judge that was nominated that was nominated in an election year in 1988, okay, that was uh, Anthony Kennedy, and and that was under Reagan. So a lot of I've seen a lot of shows that have said that. Well, the reason why Kennedy was nominated was because. He had Reagan had gone through two other justices that had been turned down. One was Bork, who who the Senate was against. So that was the guy's name, Robert Bork, and because he had some um, some connections to the Watergate. That's a whole other history there. I won't get into it before Luke falls asleep. But uh, I'm nodding out, I'm nodding <laughs> out bro. <laughs> you you're you're really going to nod out here in a second. And then the other one got turned down because apparently at Harvard he had smoked pot twenty years before. Uh, okay, so the so the Republicans, conservatives, right wing talk radio, they're saying that that's the only reason Reagan did it. Well, I have a list. <laughs> Where'd you get this list? Do you have to pay for uh, it? Or? Well, I I got it from I I got it from uh, Little Birdie, the okay. Book of Knowledge, <laughs> actually. I was just afraid it was floating out there free for other people to look up. AKA you know? the internet. Yeah. So here are, we're going to go through this real quick. So Luke doesn't get too bored. Although there are some interesting names in it. Uh, here are the, the Supreme court justice, the election year and the president that appointed them. Starting all the way back in 1796, Samuel chase that was under Washington also 1796, Oliver Ellsworth, also under Washington. That George Washington dominating people in an election year. Alfred Moore, 1800, under Adams. William Johnson, 1804, under Jefferson. Joseph Story, 1812, under Madison. Roger Taney, 1836, under Jackson, who also later who was the Supreme Court, the Supreme Justice, Chief Justice. Philip Barber, 1836, under Jackson. Samuel P. Chase, 1864, under Lincoln, also a chief justice. Lamar Quintus Cincinnatus Lamar, 1888, under Cleveland. Dude, I bet he had a killer (laughs) funk band. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, probably from Cleveland, right? That's where all the funk bands came from. 
George Shirias under Harrison, Rufus Peckham under Cleveland. That's uh, eight, 1892 and, eight, and 1896. Malin Pitney, 1912 under Taft. Louis Brandeis, 1916 under Wilson. Benjamin Cardoso, 1932 over Hoover. Frank Murphy, 1944 under FDR, Franklin D. Roosevelt. Louis Powell, 1972 under Nixon. Chief Justice Rehnquist, the last Chief Justice before Roberts in 1972, also under Nixon. And finally, Anthony Kennedy, as I just spoke about, in 1988 under Reagan. So there's both Republican and Democrat presidents on this list that many, nominated how, somebody in an election year. Do you know off the top a, of your head how many that was? 19. <clears throat> okay. That's so. the ones that I saw from looking at the list of chief justices of Supreme Court justices of the United States and re- knowing what year is an election year and just going by that list. Some of those are not. Now, some of those granted are not going to be elections where, the, where <laughs> there is an outgoing president. I get that. That might be. Uh, Washington would have been outgoing. Madison possibly. Uh, so, so I get that some of these might not be a new president, but there's no, there's nothing in the Constitution that says we have to wait. It's an election year, we have to wait for a new president to put in a, a justice. Yeah, just stop making decisions for the last year. Yeah, and just, just hang out. Right. And, and by the way, I don't think there were any Whigs in that list. Any of the Whig party, but uh, <laughs> so that's my list there, Luke. What's that guy's name again? It was Lucius Quintus, <laughs> Lucius Quintus Cincinnatus Lamar. Wow, <laughs> swanky! It is pretty swanky. <laughs> now about the conspiracy part. Uh, you've heard very. I've heard various things like. Um, Scalia was killed. Uh, I even saw somebody on the internet that said that Scalia was killed because there was a whole child sex trafficking ring involved, which is kind of interesting because things like that do go on. Uh, But most of it is Obama did it. (laughs) And Rob, if you got that clip ready, I want to share with everybody my absolute favorite clip from this whole brouhaha about Scalia. And this is uh, Rick Wiles. I believe he's a Christian evangelist and a also a talk show host. So if you can get that for me, Rob. This is a deadly gang to mess with. They're deadly. They mean business. This is about ruling the world. And they're Luciferian. They're devil worshipers. That's the other thing. Did we talk about the possible occult connections to this. We, we didn't mention it. I actually think you're going to talk a little bit with Steve Krell coming up here with it. But in short, Lupercalia began on February 13th. Well, what is that? It's an ancient celebration uh, that, that people date back to Rome where people come together and they sacrifice dogs, goats, and they basically they do a bunch of crazy stuff with, with women. It's, it's a fertility festival. This is, a, this is an ancient pagan. pagan day. And when was it? February 13th was the beginning of it. February 13th to the 15th. Which was the day he died. 
Yes. Okay, the other thing, and I noticed this. The 13th was the 44th day of 2016. Right. Obama is the 44th president of the United States. So you have this numerology thing taking place. It's like they sacrifice. There's always human sacrifice involved. That's right. Just like in our intro song, there's always human sacrifice involved. (laughs) Anytime something like this happens. Uh, That was pretty interesting. Yeah. I definitely, definitely the best. I I have to give them an A plus for creativity on that one. I was skeptical at first, but. uh. (laughs) (laughs) Well, especially when he got to the part where February 13th is the 44th day of the year. Yeah, that's well thought out. And Obama's the 44th president. I mean, we know you always have to have the numerology thing. Right. Like the 33 stuff going on and. No, you won't pick the day. You went. You went pick the day that was like most convenient to, right? To pull it off, you. It's got to be special. It's got to match the. It's got to match the 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 stars and the yeah. That that time I got in the car wreck, man. It has it has to do with numerology. Like (laughs) uh, my numbers were just wrong that day. Well, you know, (laughs) I'm sure of it. We talk about weird stuff like this too all the time. Yeah, and you know. I really think it's kind of going out on a limb to say that he was murdered. If he was murdered, first of all, and second of all, if he was murdered on the feast day of Lupercalia, <laughs> the ancient Roman holiday, I, I, that I really don't know if anybody <laughs> celebrates. <laughs> Our family does. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I think you were I think you were celebrating that today, right? I've, oh. I've got my upside down pentagram on. Now apparently they also said that there was weird stuff about women. Well, let's go straight to Plutarch. Let's see what he has to say about this whole thing. The ancient Roman historian, by the way. Oh, okay, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I knew that. Luke and I just looked at each other. Plutarch, this is also from the Book of Knowledge, Wikipedia. Plutarch described Lupercalia. Lupercalia, of which many write that it was anciently celebrated by shepherds and has also some connection with the Arcadian Lycia, whatever. At this time, many of the noble youths and of the magistrates run up and down through the city naked for sport and laughter, striking those they meet with shaggy thogs. (laughs) Shaggy thogs, and thongs, and many women like like not like a thong, like a you know underwear, but they're beating each other with rolled up uh, uh-huh. towels, basically. Oh, and many women of rank also purposely get in their way, and like children at school, present their hands to be struck, believing that the pregnant will thus be helped in delivery and the barren to pregnancy. So I guess that's all the weird stuff that they did with women. They did sacrifice dogs, by the way. There was, you know, there was a sacrifice of dogs. Other than the dog sacrifice, it sounds like a cool tradition. Yeah. Well, Lupicalia comes from the, it was actually a, a holiday to commemorate the founding of Rome because the, 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 uh, the myth is, is that Rome was founded by two brothers, Romulus and Remus. And they were either their parents were killed or they were given away or they were left out to die or something. These two twins and 
there was always like a god that wanted to kill their mother or something. All of all of a sudden, Greek and Roman mythology, right? There goes the rustling, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so the, the, there was a wolf. There was a wolf that took care of them, and that's where you see like this famous. There's a famous statue that you can see with the wolf's teeth. Teats like dangling down and the two little babies suckling <laughs> on them. That's the that's Romulus and Remus. So it was Lupercal. It was considered Lupercal from a Latin for wolf, and that was that was the celebration of the foundation of Rome. So did you already know so, that, or did you look? That actually, up I knew some of this already, but I did. I did make sure to look up and see what Lupercalia was. So yeah, they sacrificed goats and sacrificed dogs. That's what they did. And there was also like... And we sacrifice justices? The priests, yeah, that's, that's what we okay. do. That's what we do in this country. It's when we want to get rid of the guy that doesn't like the gays and doesn't like abortion, we want to get rid of that guy, we kill him on Lupercalia right. to just make a sacrifice to... It might help. Rome <laughs> for some reason. Yeah. Even though Rome's totally different now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I, I don't want to denigrate it too much. I, I don't want to, because, you know, there could, there possibly could be something to, you know, maybe there was foul play. Maybe he really was killed by somebody. Or maybe right. well, he just died. Well, I'm sure like anyone in that kind of position is at risk for that sort of thing. Like I don't doubt right. that that sort of thing has happened a lot and never I mean slipped past everybody. But when you're 79 years old, and I mean maybe like his another thing was that I forgot to mention was his family did not request an autopsy, and so <laughs> either that means a they were in on it or b they knew there could have been some kind of condition that he had that only the family knew and they knew, well, that's probably what he died of. And they weren't as concerned about it. I mean, ultimately it's up to the family. And I was joking, but I, I'm, these are crazy sort of times politically right now. Yeah. I do think it is, it's important to look into every possibility and right. You know, o- overreach the bounds of, but it doesn't necessarily mean like if somebody did kill him, it could have been for something that he did. I mean, you had, like I said, there was this lady on Facebook accusing him of molesting young boys and of like a child sex ring. I'm not saying this. I'm, you know, this is somebody else saying this. And, you know, there's the possibility that, that that could have happened that, you know, people that run these, they're, they're obviously criminals. Right. So who knows? But even that's kind of jumping out on a limb and going a little bit too far when, you know, it's just, it, it is bad timing considerably yeah. for this judge to die because he was so beloved by the right wing. He was so beloved by Christian evangelicals. And now you see the battle lines again being drawn. And, you know, the Republicans, unfortunately, are the ones that are acting non-constitutionally here because the president is granted by the Constitution, to appoint a judge, a justice, when there's a vacancy. Right. And I, Yeah, and I, I see the motivation for sure. I just, that's all I've seen is speculation. And, right. 
nothing, nothing concrete. And by the way, Alex Jones has gone. I've noticed he has gone so for Donald Trump now. It's ridiculous. Really? Yeah. He's out there. His latest thing, I think, is he's out there screaming that Donald <laughs> Trump is going to get killed in a false flag attack or something. They're going to try to get rid of the Donald. <laughs> what about that? You probably know more about this than I do. Well, possibly. I don't know. Um, I read this thing today, and I don't remember what the source was or anything, but it talked about how in, I think, 2013, Donald Trump admitted publicly that he thought he could run for president, like disrupt the whole system, draw a whole bunch of votes away from wherever he wanted to, and then drop out and disappear and kind of just mess with the whole I game. think he said a lot of stuff, a lot of phrases like that, a lot of a lot of things like that. Well, this one was like not, I mean, it's not long before he right. went out and did it. I mean, he's not, uh, he said so many different like contradictory statements like that. Um, yeah, it could be. I mean, there's one conspiracy theory that thinks that he's in cahoots with Hillary Clinton and he's just over there causing a whole bunch of problems and, and you know you know mm-hmm. going in there as like a agent almost to disrupt the republican party and that's what he's doing and that's just going to hand her the the presidency right because apparently they're good friends you know bill and hillary were at trump's latest wife and he's his wedding here's a picture of them all standing together <laughs> smiling yeah, he's, well, he, he's he's been a supporter <laughs> of them for a long time from what i understand yeah he was a democrat till like 2011 mm-hmm he was a registered. I think he's like earlier in his youth. I think he was a Republican, but he switched over to be a Democrat. And he was a Democrat for a long, long time. And then in 2011, he switched back over. And uh, one interesting thing, like back in, like th- this made some news when it happened. I think this is like in, uh, this might have been November or December, but Trump uh, actually made a deal with a Republican, like the people in the apparatus of the Republican party, the party leadership. And he said that if, uh, I will make it, if I'm not nominated, I'm not going to run on a third party ticket, you know, because that would take votes away from them potentially. And, but this was the idea that I think he made, I think he's made a deal with them to be the nominee. I think he made a deal with them. Then once I heard that, I was like, just watch, and he's winning. He's he's winning the states left and right. Cruz won Iowa. You know, yesterday as we're recording this is the twenty fourth of February. Yesterday was the Nevada caucus, and he won that. So, and next week uh, is Super Tuesday, and that's going to be the big. It's going to be the big one because there's like seventeen states or something. Our state, Tennessee, is votes in it. There's like 17 states that are going to vote their primaries on Super Tuesday. It'll pretty much be decided after that. Yeah. It usually is after Super Tuesday. Luke's over here like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Let's not forget that nobody's vote matters. So that, yeah, 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 so, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. But, you know, the thing is, I like, I don't like Donald Trump and, and, and I don't, I don't like uh, on the Republic on the Democrat side. I don't like uh, I don't like Hillary. I don't trust Bernie Sanders. 
I just don't. I have friends that are just crazy about him, but I just I I I see the appeal, but I don't. If that makes any sense, almost uh-huh. like almost like I see the appeal that that Trump has, and I don't trust him either. So I'm really just thinking about voting Republican, checking that box as much as it pains me to do that. Again, to just vote for Rand Paul because like there's nobody else, and he's dropped out of the race. Sadly, there's nobody. <laughs> Like, I just, I, I just, for some reason, I just can't bring myself to say like, oh yeah, Bernie Sanders, let's, let's have a bunch of free stuff. I just, I can't, I can't go there in my mind. I'm, I'm sure everyone, just, you know, I'm sure everyone at the, the voting uh, places are just going to like take, isolate your ticket and be like, oh my God, look what this Adam Sane guy <laughs> voted for. <laughs> they just wasted his vote <laughs> ah! and then pass it around. Yeah. That's what they tell you. Well, dude, I've, I wasted my vote last time. I voted for Gary Johnson, the libertarian candidate. And I, I'm, I don't care. Republicans and Democrats, I, they, they've lost me. You know, there's no, I mean, definitely a Republican side. That's the thing. And I understand how, I, mean, I understand how a two party system evolved and the importance yeah. of um, balance. You know, the conservatives being looking back on the way laws were written, how laws were written, the, the wording of them and that sort of thing. And then, but it didn't used to be conservatives and Democrats. It used to be um, conservatives and innovators was the idea behind it. Yeah. You know, you got one side pushing for new things and exploring boundaries because the world changes and our perspective changes. And yet one side is trying to keep it grounded and rooted. And right. You have <laughs> radicals and you have conservatives. But I mean, it's just grown a, into two giant yeah. clubs that have their own lobbyists and their own agendas. That, right. Well, each party is really out, is really out for itself. I mean, mm-hmm. they know that they're the one. They, and they agree to disagree. It's just like pro wrestling. <laughs> Yeah, there's really nothing different. I mean, the, the right, the right and left wing paradigm is just, and actually, that doesn't even exist anymore in my mind. And I, I'm not going to go into it now because we're kind of running out of time here on the intro. But you know, the, it's a 19th century concept in in our 21st century world where that really doesn't matter anymore. Um, and that's something we could talk about later, but. I'm going to talk about, we'll come back in the outro, talk a little bit about what happened to Kalamazoo. I do have like one point I want to make on that, but uh, we have uh, coming up Ron Felber and we're going to talk about his book, the Mojave incident. And uh, this is a frightening tale of alien abduction. And this one's, this one's going to be interesting. I'm real excited about it. So this is anything you guys want to add. We'll, Pick it back up on the other side. That's all I gotta say. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> all right, guys, we're gonna we're gonna leave, but uh, we'll be right back in like three nanoseconds on Conspiranormal. All right, guys, as promised, we are back on Conspiranormal, and this is the guy that you know, always here, and with the producer and the co-host, and we have on the line we have Mr. Ron Felber. Uh, who has written a book about the Mojave incident, a inspired by a chilling story of alien abduction. And it is indeed chilling. But I kind of want to read a little bit uh, here uh, about it and about Ron. Uh, Ron Felber is well known as the author of both novels and nonfiction books that explore unusual yet compelling topics. He is often drawn to unconventional subjects, whether it's a mafia doctor in El Dottore or human trafficking in the Kafka Society. 
It's no wonder then that Felber was intrigued by the story of Elise and Tom Gifford, who claimed to have been abducted by extraterrestrials during a desert camping trip that turned their lives upside down. Felber recounts their chilling experience in the Mojave Incident, a powerful book that takes readers on a riveting journey they will not soon forget. As Felber explains, when Elise and Tom Gifford headed out to the, Missouri, to the Mojave Desert, they anticipated a quiet camping trip, a short break from family, friends, and the everyday routine that filled their lives. But when they were kidnapped by what they believed to be a swarm of alien beings, the shock and pain of the experience changed their lives forever. They wanted everything we had, our minds, bodies, our souls, Elise Gifford told Felber. I thought we were going to die or had already died and we were being tortured in hell. Powerful stuff. Ron, welcome to Conspiracy Normal. Good to be here. Thank you. That's excellent. Good to have you. Uh kind of got a little bit of your background there in that first paragraph, but I really kind of wanted to ask you kind of like what your background is, uh, where you kind of come from and, uh, what other books that you've written about and kind of their subjects and then how you became interested in this story. Cause I know this is a little different than some of the other books that, that you've written before on, on other topics. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, you know, my background is uh, is one. I, you know, my my dad was a a beer truck driver in Newark, New Jersey, and oh, wow. um, I uh, wrote uh, I boxed Golden Gloves uh, while I was in high school and early college, and uh, I got a scholarship for journalism. I went on an award, went to Marquette for a year, then Georgetown, where I met William Peter Blatty, who was filming The Exorcist at the time. We became good friends. Oh wow! Uh, from there, I, I uh, got a a degree from Loyola of Chicago, and then my doctorate from Drew University. In the middle of that, when I first got out of college, it was a big recession, and, and I was uh, in a lot of debt. And so I was uh, a uh, deputy sheriff that transported federal prisoners in uh, Washington, D.C. and Arlington, Virginia. So I did that for three years, uh, then got in business and uh, worked my way up to becoming CEO of a, uh, a fairly large corporation. Wow. Uh, that's all the while ago, I wrote. I had a parallel career writing all the time, and I think I think I've written about thirteen books at this point. Yeah, uh, excellent. Uh, El Torre, the mafia doctor, is that that is that based off a true story of a, a real person? Yeah, you know, I, I got to know oddly enough uh, Bill Bonanno, uh, who was head of the uh, Bonanno crime family. Yeah. Uh, the, the way that happened was I had written a book uh, called Privacy Wars about a congressman that uh, that. Uh, was doing hearings on CIA and FBI intrusions uh, into uh, American citizens' lives, illegal intrusions. And he wound up going to prison, got you know, locked in a war with J. Edgar Hoover, went to federal prison a couple of times. So I wrote a book about him. His name was Neil Gallagher. Uh, Bill Bonanno read the book, liked it a lot, and wanted to make a movie out of it. So he contacted me. We never uh, got to make the movie, but we became very, very good friends. Uh, Bill, you know, for some period of time, he's passed away, uh, really was a best friend. And uh, he introduced me to a fellow named Bruce Mindich, who uh, worked at Valley Hospital in Ridgewood, New Jersey. And uh, he was the mafia doctor. Hmm. It later became a TV show, uh, The Mob Doctor, on uh, Fox. Yeah, I remember remember hearing about it. I don't think I ever saw it, but I remember hearing about it. So, so how does someone with with your background and and it, that's a CEO and a former cop, former boxer, how do you get to this uh, to hear this story about these people about this alien abduction? Especially, 
that you're, I believe, on the other side of the country from these people. Yeah. You know, it, it's, uh, you know there's a lot of coincidences involved in this particular story. Um, but, but one of the big coincidences is this. There was a fellow that uh, you know, uh, was interviewing for a job. So we had uh, salespeople, and I insisted that I, I meet new employees or people that were about to get hired. So I met him, and, uh, and funny, funny story, his name was Paul Moran. And I wasn't sure because his background was so pristine. He was a varsity football player in college, straight-A student, et cetera. And so sometimes you get a little suspect. And so in passing, he said, and I can also juggle. So I asked uh, my secretary to bring in four oranges. And I said, I'll tell you what, you juggle those four oranges and you've got the job. <laughs> Interesting. So, so he did. And uh, we got to be great friends. And a fellow that he played football with um, at Redlands, uh, uh, University of Redlands in, uh, in California, was uh, Tom Gifford, and uh, was an all-state football player. And uh, over time, we got to be very good friends, and he told me about this story that his best friend had gone through, this account of uh, this UFO alien abduction encounter that Tom Gifford and his wife, Elise, went through and told me that it really had changed their lives, that uh, really it had ruined their lives in a lot of ways, that, uh, you know, they suffered from insomnia, you know, sexual dysfunction. They were like POWs and were morbidly shy about telling anyone. But uh, he thought, he knew I was a writer, thought it was a great story, and he thought it would be uh, cathartic, you know, good for them to, to tell the story and get it out. And... Um, very reluctantly, uh, I agreed, and very reluctantly they agreed, but uh, we met. I found them to be very, very credible. The husband was a project manager for a major construction firm, again, a college graduate, all-state football player. His wife, uh, also a college graduate, two young children, um, upwardly mobile. The last thing in the world they wanted to happen in their lives was an alien abduction encounter in the Mojave Desert. Right. These are people that are, you would say, I guess, salt of the earth, you know, not, not yeah, people that absolutely. are going to come up with lies necessarily. I mean, college educated, family people, good jobs, you know. It, I mean, if anything, this would, this would kind of ruin his career. <laughs> right. Yeah. Ruined career, ruined yeah. reputation. Uh, for you, what, what was your, what, did you have a knowledge of, of the kind of alien abduction phenomenon at no. that point? No. I, I, you know, I like, I like a lot of people uh, that grew up, you know, when I did, you know, the Twilight Zone and Rod Serling and yeah. Ray Bradbury, et cetera, you know, this is the height of the Cold War and everything, and the, everybody was sort of spooked about atom bombs and, and whatnot. And um, and so science fiction was very popular. So I, I always enjoyed science fiction. Um, but in terms of alien abduction, it was a relatively uh, unheard of thing in uh, October 89, uh, when this happened, and uh, when I met them in 1990, so that um, there weren't many cases. There was a Betty and Barney Hill uh, account, but which was really um, a fraction of this sustained and enduring and detailed and complex multi-hour, you know, 8, 10, 12-hour experience with two people simultaneously pinching one another, saying, are you seeing this? Are you seeing that? And then I took a very scientific approach uh, to the investigation. I, I took them to the National Center of Psychiatry in um, Washington, D.C., where a friend of mine was director. 
and had them um, assessed for neurosis or for exaggeration or whether they were prone to fantasy, etc. And, of course, they weren't. And uh, he said they had the symptoms of a prisoner of war. And then he introduced me to uh, Dr. William Annixter, who did uh, a retrogressive uh, hypnosis that brought them back to some unrecovered uh, memories that they had in nightmares. Uh, they knew they had been on the craft, and, um, and this recovered uh, maybe four or five hours of unconscious experience. So it's a very unique story. So you weren't aware of like Whitley Strieber's book, uh, Communion, or the Bud Hopkins' work at the time? Uh, not Bud Hopkins, of course. Communion. I like Christopher Walken, like most people. As an yeah, actor. yeah, yeah. So, so I I, uh, I did see the movie. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, I was just wondering if you, if you'd had any like kind of background in it to that no, for you really. it was a completely a completely new thing for you. Like I, I would say, if somebody asked me about it, then I would say, well, look, you know, it's yeah. interesting. But personally, what do I think? I think this is probably people that that subconsciously feel ignored and crave attention. Right. Like the people that would be on like the national Enquirer or the weekly world news, you know, that, yeah. that's kind of where this was relegated for you yeah. at the time. I, I would right. suppose. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I want to ask about, uh, before the incident occurred and I want, and we'll get into kind of like the course of it, but did either one of the Giffords had they had any kind of experiences? Because as we know, in kind of the alien abduction, uh, lore, so to speak, that it, most of the time these things hap- just don't happen once, that it's a lifelong experience. It's interesting that you mentioned that because uh, uh, Tom, when he was eight, uh, went camping with his parents and another couple, and he was with another young uh, boy, and they were fishing in, I think, Lake Mojave. And uh, okay. so they saw a UFO. It uh, came near them. They dropped their fishing poles and ran, and they felt like it was following them. Now, whether they had missing time or not, I don't know, and, they, and he doesn't remember either. But when he told the sets of parents about it, of course, they laughed, and these are guys having a, you know, a picnic, pretty much, so they're drinking beer, and so a couple of kids say they just saw a flying saucer. It's not something they're going to take very seriously. Right. So that did happen. And by the way, when he first encountered uh, the the first UFO in the Mojave as an adult, uh, these memories came crashing, crashing uh, down on top of him. You know. But uh, Elise, his wife, she never had had any kind of experience like that. Not not that she's aware of. Not that she's aware of. Okay, so nothing before the particular incident we're going to talk about. Again, the, the hypnosis uh, that we did yeah. didn't focus on that, but. It wouldn't surprise me if she. It wouldn't surprise me that she had a similar experience to her husband. Now she says she doesn't remember anything like that, but as you know, that doesn't really mean a lot right. because a lot of these things wind up buried. Right. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me either. That was one of the things that I, I was wondering uh, through the through reading the book whether she had had any any kind of experiences herself. Uh, Let's talk about what happened that night. Uh, you know, what kind of led the Giffords to to leave their home and I guess in, in Los, Los Angeles or close to it and and go to the Mojave Desert. And what, what happened to them right before the incident? How did they get to that spot? Yeah, I mean, uh, basically at, at that time, um, 
Elise was the mother of two, a uh, five-year-old and a uh, and a, a one-year-old, or maybe four, I'm sorry, four-year-old and a one-year-old, and so uh, she just wanted to go away from her kids and be with right. adults for a little while and spend some time with her husband. So he was very involved in uh, some construction projects, which, as you can imagine, let's say a shopping mall. I mean, this is all consuming, you know, budgets and workers and unions and everything. Sure. So she just wanted to spend time with her husband and just get out of the house and, uh, you know, and, and, and have some fun. So his parents uh, babysat, and the idea was he wanted to go hunting. So he had missed a shot at a mule deer in the Mojave the season before. His brother and father gave him quite a hard time about it, so he was very resolved, and that's his nature to go back and, uh, and get a mule deer, that mule deer, if he could. So they had kind of uh, were at different uh, purposes here. So what they agreed to do was they would go to a place called the Whiskey Pete, which was uh, on the way to the Mojave. They would listen to some music, have a couple of drinks, uh, gamble a little bit, and, uh, and then head out uh, for, uh, for Mid-Hills campsite where they would spend the night and then go into the Mojave and he could do his hunting and they'd camp overnight. What happened was when they got to Mid-Hills campsite, very unusual. Again, this whole story is laced with coincidence. Uh, it's never sold out, but it was sold out that night. There wasn't a spot to be had. Hmm. So Tom being the sort of, you know, rough and ready guy that he is said, well, you know, I know this place, even though it's dark or getting dark, you know, no problem. We'll go there and we'll camp out tonight. So they go through some very rough terrain. They're in a very remote area of the Mojave near the New York mountain range and um, not far from what they call Flat Top Mountain. And uh, they set up their camper. So they have a, a shell on their a pickup truck so they could sleep there and whatnot. They build a fire. They have a couple steaks. They're feeding kangaroo rats like crumbs of bread and whatnot and sort of laughing about that and uh, roasting marshmallows towards the end and looking at the desert sky, which is just uh, brilliant with uh, uh, starlight, identifying different constellations as people will do. And uh, Tom mentions, well, this is a double star here. See how big it is, how bright it is. So his wife says, well, that's a double star. This must be a triple star. And there's a particular uh, object that, that's very bright and very large. In the meantime, Tom glances to his right and uh, almost peeking out from behind a mountain is a UFO. Now, to him, it's absolutely shocking. And again, this experience from when he was eight years old comes tumbling down like this thing is actually in communication with him. And he looks again, and it, it hides again, hides behind the mountain. Now, his wife was already um, upset that they had to camp out in the middle of nowhere, and she was nervous about it. She thought, you know, that drug deals can go down, you know, motorcycle gangs, uh, whatever, that right. they're very vulnerable. So he didn't want to make her nervous, but this really resonated with him. And while they're watching, the one shiny object becomes nine, and the nine objects form a sprawling M uh, over the mountaintop and start blinking like in coordinated patterns to one another as if communicating. 
So she says, what is this? You know, and he says, well, maybe it's a military exercise. You know, there are a lot of Air Force bases around here. And she goes, should we, should we be here? Do you know? And um, now the nine become hundreds, hundreds of shining lights. And uh, they start dropping down from the sky onto the desert terrain and uh, rushing towards them. But it's not lights anymore. It's pairs of red eyes, red eyes glowing in the dark, thousands of pairs of red eyes rushing towards them. They know the terrain is, is really rough, so no wheeled vehicle could possibly, you know, do this. But it's like an onslaught. So he runs to the back of the camper and gets uh, a Remington and Ithaca uh, shotgun and ammunition, and he's ready to protect, protect them. She thinks that, like, the Russians have invaded or something. Mm. It's so massive. Um, then they start to hear telepathic messages, her first. Put the guns away. Don't try to harm us or we'll kill you. Get in the back of the camper and stay there. So she says it to him. Don't you hear what they're saying? But then he gets the message too. And almost robotically, they, they go into the back of the camper, sit there Indian style, him with um, the, the guns over his, uh, over his lap. And uh, when he tries to get up, there are two monitors, like like electrical forces, like fire plugs almost, too. And if he moves an inch forward, they move an inch forward. If he moves five inches forward, they move five inches forward. And uh, when he tries to get out, he gets a tremendous jolt of electricity. And now he understands that they're trapped in the back of the camper. Now, they can see all this going on in the camper through, I guess, some side windows. Yes, and the, exactly. And the, and the back of the camper is open as well. Yep. Okay. So now they look up and they see a, a UFO uh, that he describes absolutely capped the valley. So what kind of size are we talking about? He said a football field, but it must have been larger than that. Because if you were standing over something the size of a football field, all you'd know is that it's huge. I mean, you really wouldn't see the end or you know, so that's the best description he could give. Right. That this was the size of a football field. It capped the valley. The all sounds in the desert stopped. No sounds. And the desert's pretty noisy at night. And uh, this thing shot a, a large beam, uh, maybe 200 feet in diameter, uh, down and seemed to be pulling things up and down. In the meantime, there's another uh, craft. They called it a searcher. It's a triangular-shaped craft that began combing the basin of the desert as if looking for something. Then it stopped, and they started to feel like a vibration underneath them, like it was drilling. And they had a smell that was like sulfur, very pungent, phosphorus or sulfur, burning sulfur, and uh, very strong. And they got the strong impression that, that it was a mining operation going on. The next thing that happens hmm. is they're surrounded by um, these gremlin-type creatures, the ones with the red eyes, and uh, they're malevolent. They're three feet, maybe in, in size, almost uh, monkey-like. Um, they're running over the camper. They're on, in the trees. And 
the second set of beings that surrounds the camper are nine illuminated figures. Now, these would be about five feet in height, maybe five feet four, white light, raven black eyes, no pupils, no iris, um, a slit for a mouth, two holes for a nose, no ears, uh, long, long, thin limbs, three fingers, three long fingers. And this is when the mental torture starts. So what is going on there with the mental torture? What uh, they're, are they putting things into their into their mind suggestions? I mean, what is what are they what are they experiencing? Just the opposite. Um, Elise Gifford says it was like they were drawing experiences out of their minds, like with a syringe. So she had been molested as a child. So literally, she was made to relive that, like it was happening, and all all that went with it. Uh, Tom, who's a, was a hunter most of his life went through an experience where he was hunted by hunters, wounded, tracked, and then skinned alive. Which, by the so way, that was the part that got me in the book. That right there, that was, that, it was pretty brutal, pretty brutal scene. Well, they thought they were, they were, they thought they were in hell. Yeah. And they thought that they were going to die and their hearts were racing. They thought they were on the verge of cardiac arrest. And just when they um, are put through these experiences, and they were like a, a, a rotation of different experiences, some pleasant, some horrific, and uh, some involved their children, like uh, their children uh, being um, you know, in, in very dangerous situations. I, I won't get into it. But um, horrific from a mother's standpoint and a father's standpoint. And um, you know, even uh, you know, uh, uh, some some sexual uh, incidents that went on in the camper uh, where, you know, where uh, the husband got aggressive and the wife who'd just been reliving this molestation, you know, couldn't imagine anything more hard. And um, so this was uh, awful. And when they started to feel like they were going to die from heart attacks, a kind of mist rolled into the um, back of the camper that sedated them calm them down. And so it was almost like these beings were scientists experimenting on them psychologically and keeping them alive so they could experiment more. Just testing the limits, sort of. Was this, uh, look, Rob was saying, was it testing their limits uh, uh, emotionally and mentally? I I don't know if it was testing the limits. I think it was um, perhaps but certainly what it was, was to find out, and uh, Elise says this uh, during the hypnotic sessions, they don't have emotions like we do. And so before they make contact in mass with humans, they need to understand how our emotions work so they know how to communicate with us. And so these were clearly experiments. So at a certain point, do the experiments on them stop? Does the does the experience take a a brighter turn, or does it just stay stay fearful and nightmarish? Well, I mean, this is one of the reasons I think this has got to be the most um, the broadest and most depthful 
experience of its kind ever. Yeah. Because what happens next is, um, again, when, when they're absolutely drained and feel like um, exhausted, an angelic presence uh, appears. And they say it's clearly feminine. It swirls down. It's uh, like a Marian visitation. And uh, the mm. voice says, don't worry. You will survive this. It will be over soon. And that's when the smaller creatures, the malevolent ones, recede and calm down. The nine illuminated figures um, uh, recede, and um, they get very sleepy. And, uh, you know, unnaturally sleepy, and they find that they're, they're out. They wake up the next uh, morning outside the camper with the campfire that was roaring, burned out completely. They think it's the end of the world. They think that, that this was, you know, an alien invasion that everybody from Moscow to Beijing to Washington, D.C. knows about. Mm -hmm. They turn on the radio and uh, they hear Randy Travis singing a country song. And they wait for the news. But there is no news. Uh, they go to see a camper that's uh, several miles away. Older couple, did you see anything last night, this and that? So, oh, we go to bed pretty early. We're in bed, you know, 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock. So, no, we didn't see anything. Why do you ask? Uh, so, you know, it, it was very different than what they thought. And by the way, when they drive home, they feel like that searcher is following them. They feel that they're being followed by, still being followed by this presence. That's but correct. And uh, actually, four weeks later, um, you know, and, and their resemblance is to almost demon possession in a lot of ways. But four <laughs> weeks later, they hear a scream from their, their four-year-old's room. And so they go rush again, it's three in the morning, and uh, he's spinning like a top. Whoa. And... Uh, she gathers him up in her arms. You know, you know, everything's all right. You know, you had a nightmare or whatever, but, you know, this is crazy, right? So she puts him back to bed, and she's about to turn the light out, and uh, her husband is there in the doorway with her, and uh, the boy says, don't turn the lights out. And she goes, uh, why? You know, do you want the lights on? Yes, I want the lights on, because when you turn the lights off, the monsters come. So his mother says, there are, there are no monsters. He says, yes, there are. They're little, and they have red eyes. The, describing something similar to what they saw out there in the desert. Exactly. And by the way, one of the things I found incredibly compelling was that uh, the Mojave Twins, which is um, a, uh, an earth drawing, a land drawing that can be seen from the sky in the Mojave uh, Desert, yeah. the Mojave Twins, uh, uh, were real, really totally described as the illuminated figures. What they described as the illuminated figures, the Paiute Indians had been putting petroglyphs and cave drawings and this huge land drawing, which, which was almost a direct correlation to what they described. Yeah, I'd never actually heard of those until I read about it in your book. Yeah, very interesting. Kind of like a very, kind of like a, a NASCAR. Maybe yeah. in the internet? Yeah, I looked it up on uh, Wikipedia. 
And, Isn't that uh, wild? Yeah, and it's it's pretty interesting. It, it kind of reminds me a little bit of like the Nazca lines in a way. Yep. Uh, the the pictograph kind of uh, depiction there. So they were saying that it looked very that those beings looked well, very I was much saying, like they didn't know them. anything about it. Ah. In my research, I, I you know I was stunned. I, you know I, I was looking just you know things about the Mojave Desert when I yeah. saw this, these drawings. I said, "Geez, that's exactly what they they described." Now, how far away were they from the, those twins from those pictures? Not not far at all. Okay. I guess it's in the same national park mm-hmm. area. Now, yep. I, I believe it was the it was either the day before, or it may have been even a week after that they actually went back to their to the same location because it bothered them so much. Oh, absolutely! And, and right. What did they What did they find there when they went back? Very little. Yeah, very little. But uh, they they felt like, and they feel today that uh, they're watched, and that. Uh, you know, that this isn't something that uh, that was a, a one-off situation. Right. I, I want to ask, too, about the experiences that they were having afterwards, because this did not end when they came back to their home. You, as you mentioned, there was experiences with the child, but there were some other experiences that, 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 that they had where they felt like these creatures were following them. Well, you know, the, one of the weirdest things... Um, among many weird things during the hypnotic session was um, when Elise talked about becoming pregnant, um, maybe six months after the experience. So she didn't remember this consciously, but she talked about uh, her and her husband making love. And uh, she said to her husband, I'm pregnant. Hmm. And he said, I know. And she said, it's not the right time for me in my cycle to be pregnant. He said, I know, but you are. And then she said, and he said, that's when they realized, but only under hypnosis, that the bed was surrounded by aliens Hmm. when they were having sex. Wow. I I, I mean, you hear about from the alien abduction lore, you hear often about the... uh, the hybridization program and all these people would say that they would go on board these ships and they, they're impregnated and then they come back. The pregnancy is gone. And then you have like the, supposedly the aliens are doing this whole hybrid program. Uh, and they go back and they say that they see these, these children. Was there any experiences like that for her? You know, um, again, I, I, I really tried to target, um, the missing time around that event. And it was hard enough to get at that. And so, um, uh, that experience that I just told you about, there was another where, uh, Steve wakes up and, uh, and he sees a, uh, one of these white beings and it's covered in a luminous kind of uniform. It's got like a, the top of an arrowhead on, uh, its chest. Hmm. And, uh, very much the way I described the others split for a mouth, etc. large head. And it's, it's running these three fingers over his wife's face and head over and over. And, um, here's this voice saying you're dreaming. And he says, I- I'm not dreaming. You know, this is real. And, uh, he screams. 
the alien disappears. His wife wakes up, and he grabs a Polaroid and takes pictures because she has burn marks over her face. Right, like like finger marks almost. Exactly. Yeah. And there's some weird. There was some weirdness with the Polaroids as well. Yep. Uh, I want to ask too about when, once you got involved with the case and kind of like the the course of of your involvement and then actually taking them to to get do their hypnosis and what that hypnosis revealed to you. Sure. Um, you know, I wanted to do this right, and so we got the best doctors. And uh, Dr. Batone is director of the National Center of Psychiatry. He said uh, these are experiences that are beyond the realm of normal human experience. Um, Annexer, who does retrogressive hypnosis for the FBI or had, um, said that this was the most intriguing case of its kind and the most convincing he'd ever experienced or heard about. And when I asked him directly, I said, so what do you make of this? He said, I've eliminated drugs. I've eliminated, you know, um, hyperbole or hallucination. I've eliminated these things. Because you're left, I've eliminated military exercises. Because really what you're left with is what they say happened to them is what happened to them. And that's what I believe. Right. Because there's, I mean, there was no doubt in anyone's mind. They could see just how physically and emotionally affected by, by this experience they were. Oh, absolutely. Under hypnosis, I mean, um, Tom was sobbing, you know. Uh, uh, Elise was just, uh, you know, they, they were really emotionally rattled. Correct. Yeah. What's, what, what did some of the hypnosis reveal? Was there any uh, statements that were made? Did they remember the hours that they possibly had lost uh, during the incident that they couldn't physically Yeah, I mean, one of the, um, you know, incredible things that everybody asks, like, you know, what, what is it that, uh, these people want? What, what do these beings want? So here's, here's a uh, directly from the, uh, the transcript. So he says, um, and I'll, I'll read from it. Where do they come from? She strained as if trying to recapture the memory of an elusive dream. They may have been here all the time, she answered, eyelids going through a series of rapid motions, existing spiritually, then becoming physical. They were from other planets, but are, now sp- are, are more spiritual now, a power and a force. And why do they want to make contact? To deliver a message that the world needs to be as one, that if there's a war or a massive destruction, they will intervene. What else do you know? Do you have any idea what these beings want or why they're here? They want to make contact with the population. Tom and I are specimens, imperfect like the human race. When we're ready to communicate with them face to face, then possibly the world will be too. They have to study our reactions so they know how to approach us. They don't have emotions like ours, so they need us to teach them. They need to understand humans. The doctor. Do you have a sense as to who they are and where they come from? There are five galaxies. Theirs is the next closest. In order for all five galaxies to work together one day, they have to start, and they're starting with us, so we'll be united galaxies. What else do you know? I know where the universe ends. Is that something you can put into words? Our universe ends 
where theirs begins. Our universe ends when all its matter stops mattering to us and starts mattering to them. That's, I mean, that's pretty deep stuff there. Yeah, I'll say you could have heard a pin drop. Yeah, I bet. Had I mean, was this was this woman? I mean, was she that expressive normally, or was this? No, no, no. I mean, if you look at the wordplay there, it's really very intricate. It is our universe ends. Now, this is not an ah ah or ah or a pause. This is rattled off. Yeah, you know. It's our universe almost, ends where theirs begins. Our universe ends when all that matters stops mattering to us and starts mattering to them. That's an incredible, incredibly complex wordplay. It's almost as if she's channeling in a way. Exactly. Oh, there's no question. Yeah. Because you definitely hear about that as well. Uh, and, and, so, and there's a, a lot of these um, elements uh, more s- supernatural elements are, are what you don't read about normally in alien abduction cases or what people think is in alien abduction cases. But this kind of high weirdness, high strangeness is all over the place in these abduction cases. So yep. looking at this case uh, for you personally, um, what do you think happened here? What do you think that they were contacted by? Because uh, I, because I, what I really liked about the book, and I've also heard another interview with you as well, that you don't necessarily take the route of that this was extraterrestrial, or this was aliens coming from another galaxy or another planet necessarily. Uh, you look at it; there might be. A, do you think there might be a more spiritual aspect to this? Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it's really difficult to, you know, I'm very open-minded on what, sure. uh, on interpretations of this, because, I mean, clearly there are, are um, it's biblical in a lot of ways. There's a great quote I used to end the book, and it has nothing to do with the book, right? So this was separate and apart, but it just seems so sort of apropos. And this is uh, Norman Mailer. Uh, the, the the great uh, writer, and it was an interview with David Frost in 1992. He says, the devil might be a presence from another universe. We might be fighting an implacable enemy out there, and the devil might be the agent of the implacable enemy with God as the tired general fighting that war with his own agents of hope. Do you know, so what you're left with is this figurative or is it literal? Mm-hmm. If it's figurative, well, then I guess, yeah, probably there are these aliens and probably these aliens used mm, very uh, familiar things like good and evil, angels, devils, um, to ev- evoke emotions. On the other hand, maybe like Norman Mailer says, and like, I mean, a lot of religions say, there is a moment-to-moment battle between good and evil for the souls of humankind. I don't know which it is. You could make an argument either way. But one thing is sure, what they experienced really has a biblical feel to it. Yeah, it it really does. That was something that struck me. Um, Here's something that's interesting. Uh, Are you familiar... 
with uh, the experiences of people that go under like DMT or ayahuasca? Are you familiar with well, any I'm, of that? I'm, I'm not literature? familiar now. Well, the, in, ayahuasca is the soup that DMT is. Uh, DMT is part of the dimethyltryptamine uh, that's produced in our pineal gland, so it's actually in our body. But mm-hmm. we, it, it's it's used as a as a drug and in some like shamanic mm-hmm. uh, shamanic r- rituals initiations, mm-hmm. and they do it down in South America. Mm-hmm. And it's become a big thing now, uh, fairly with a lot of younger people. Uh, it, it, people will go down to South America. They have a shaman and um, issue this this tea to them called ayahuasca. They drink it, and they will see images, uh, figures, uh, things very similar to what's in alien abduction accounts. But, you know, this is the difference, and this is what makes this unique. And Dr. Vatone was very specific. If you took that tea and I took that tea, we sat together, you would have one set of hallucinations, and I would have another. We wouldn't be seeing the same things moment to moment at the same time, pinching one another and comparing notes. That's impossible. That's what Dr. Vatone said. Because when we talked about peyote or LSD or things of that nature... You wouldn't hallucinate the same because your your experiences internally, you know, from your early youth, uh, would would just put you on a track totally different from another person. Yeah, I, th- I think where I'm going with that is that there's a uh, this is the an altered state of consciousness, mm-hmm. and, and and definitely you could almost say whether that was done by the aliens on the Giffords themselves, they were in that state. And Mm -hmm. a lot of what they experienced was the same as what's experienced by these people that use this ayahuasca. You, Mm -hmm. you confront your, one of the, and one of the parts that, that got me, uh, that I thought was really interesting and, and it's similar to an ayahuasca experience. Uh, when you have this experience, I've never done it, but this is from people I've talked to and books that I've read about it. When you have this experience, there's usually a purging, which can consist of you throw, vomiting or defecating. The, you know, it gets very descriptive, right? Mm-hmm. And it was interesting in your book that they all of a sudden had this, both of them had this tendency, this feeling that they really needed to urinate really bad. And mm-hmm. before mm-hmm. this purging happens, usually in that ayahuasca experience, there is this, uh, they, people are being tortured. They're confronting their fears and their foremost nightmares, basically. And then all mm. of a sudden, once they purge, there's this switch to a more peaceful presence. And that's exactly what happens in the Giffords experience, where they mm-hmm. all of a sudden encounter this angelic being. And I mm-hmm. couldn't help but think that I couldn't help but see the similarities there, is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. You know, I, again, I, I'm, I'm open to. Uh uh, interpretations. Um, but I, I would lean towards what Dr. Annixter said. Yeah. If you look at the possibilities, um, I think what they say happened to them is what happened to them. Right. Yeah. And, that, that's my conclusion anyway. Right. And definitely, and definitely for, from their perspective, it, it would be, uh, and, and let me say this too. I, I believe that if people enter this altered state of consciousness, that what they are experiencing is a hundred percent real, that there's mm-hmm. definitely this uh, communication from whatever realm. So this I could see. just be another way of accessing it. 
Uh, I really got the impression it was like a, a kind of curtain lifting. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you're the audience to another world. Right. Right. The 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 the, the veil between this world and the next is yeah. kind of loosened, so to speak. Exactly. Uh, <clears throat> had you? Let's see, I want to where I wanted to get where I wanted to go with this. Uh, you you kind of got also through one of the characters in the book, and I love how you do this, by the way, uh, there is a, almost like an alternative explanation that is given as well. Uh, what is that explanation that you give in the well, book? Yeah. Well, one of the, uh, the, the things, of course, uh, the book I mentioned to you, Privacy Wars, yeah. um, what this congressman, Neil Gallagher, had exposed was a lot of things that the CIA and the FBI, but particularly the CIA, was experimenting on unwitting American citizens with LSD, et cetera, and uh, basically uh, programming and deprogramming. And so there's a PSYOPs division that, that figures out how to play with people's minds so that uh, it brings them to the brink of uh, insanity so that they can be reprogrammed or um, or conditioned, let's say, to be a, a super soldier, whatever it might be. And so uh, I believe it was uh, Tom's father that put forward the uh, explanation that maybe they were exper- experimented on by our own government. Right, because if you look at a map, there's a bunch of military bases in that area. Yeah, and I, I, I don't discount that, except again, um, except again, in being retrogressed by an expert, that would the, the the machinations behind that, I think, would have been exposed. Yeah, you see what I'm saying? Right. I, I don't think it would be so straightforward. I think there'd be holes in the story. I think that that they wouldn't be able to describe such detail and, and the messages that they communicate, et cetera. So it's a possibility. I don't say that it's impossible, but again, you know, what you look for is the most likely explanation. And, um, what makes that not so likely is that an expert hypnotist wasn't able to see through it. And also that these people had experienced the same things at the same time. So let's say they were given some kind of uh, hallucinogenic gas. And let's say that the eyes that were red were night vision goggles. And that the craft, I mean, who could imagine a craft that's the size of a city? But nevertheless, let's just say that they just wouldn't have the same experience at the same time. And that that was really very, very... um, specific by both Annexter and um, Vitone that that's just not possible. Now, maybe uh, the government figured out a way to do that. I, I don't know. But these two, you know, renowned psychiatrists didn't believe that was, uh, you know, was, a, was, was an explanation that held water. Well, here's something that I wanted to share with you. Um, and, and it sounds like you know something about the MKUltra um stuff as well uh have you ever heard of a drug called bz that's actually i I have yeah 
Very interesting stuff. Uh, There's a researcher named, uh, and a writer named Nick Redfern. I don't know if you may have heard of him, but uh, he's written, he's written several books and we've had him on the show several times, but uh, he talked about the possibility of BZ being used in the Pascagoula, Mississippi abduction case. Mm -hmm. Uh, Apparently there was an Island there that in the fifties and the sixties was uh, used as part of the mind control experiments. Uh, and he he postulates that BZ was used. Uh, and one of the aspects of BZ that's interesting is that it can it can generate shared hallucinations. Now, the only thing that I've ever been able to find about this, as far as the shared hallucinations, was that there was experiments at Fort Detrick, Maryland, in the '60s right. with it, and they mm-hmm. would. Deliberately, these guys are guinea pigs. They would yep. sign up to be dosed by yep. BZ. Yeah, and prisoners on death row, that sort of thing. Yeah. Right, exactly. And these were army guys, and they they said that in the literature about BZ, they said that what that that two of the guys were on it, and they were actually passing an imaginary cigarette back and forth as they were smoking it. So it was mm. said that there was a shared hallucination. Now, I thought mm-hmm. that was interesting. But it's still, in a way, fifty times the magnitude of yeah. what the Giffords experience is. Now, their now, by the way, this, this is true too. Under hypnosis, I mean, going back, there are people that um, you know have produced stigmata yeah. through hypnotic suggestion. You know, I'm going to hand you a uh, a uh, glass, and this glass is uh, is burning hot, and uh, you'll feel the pain, and you'll have a blister. And a blister will actually show up, even though the glass is yeah. filled with cold water. So there is that kind of suggestion, but um, and and I have heard it again in in a, a scenario where you're talking about passing a cigarette. But when you're talking about twelve hours of sustained moment-to-moment uh, experience, there's two questions I would have: is why would the government bother to do it? With, with yeah. these particular people. And, uh, and the second is, uh, could they do it? There just doesn't seem to be much motive. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I understand what you're saying there. Um, but also, too, I mean, you, it could also be a possibility that, and I'm not saying this is what happened, but yeah. there's also the possibility that they could have just been there wrong place, wrong time. And uh oh, I mean, they were kind of far away from the rest of the other, oh, no the other campers. Yeah, absolutely. yeah, and then oh well, the they realized we just gassed somebody with this stuff. Yeah, and well, because, you know, I really what I would invite invite people to do is, and I, I do this. I mean, yeah. I'm very interested. I mean, I, uh, the book is available on Amazon, the Mojave Incident, Mojave Incident, and and you know, maybe 80 people have have put on a customer review what they think. But I'm always interested, and I look at these reviews all the time, for alternate explanations or what people think or if they know something that I don't, because it's a fascinating case and one that I think really demands study. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I definitely think that, too, there is a very religious aspect to their experience. Uh, it reminded me, the angelic experience as well, it reminded me of the Betty Andreessen her experience of her seeing mm-hmm. the, the, mm-hmm. the Phoenix and the flames. And it's very, as you, as you stated, it's a very, it's very biblical 
there's a lot there's a lot there that that maybe I, I understood that she was Mormon. I don't understand. I don't didn't know what catch what he, his he was, faith uh, he was, was. He was not a religious fellow. Okay. So, but but and then there's another thing too. They both interpreted it the same way. So couldn't some of it couldn't have been through the lens of one of their religious faiths. Uh, it, it, it's possible. It's I, possible. I mean, I just have to defer to, to the experts, you yeah. know, who studied them, and I just have to defer because. You know, these guys, both uh, doctors, are sort of brown shoe types. You know, there's nothing glamorous about them. They're, you know, very clinical. Uh, you know, Georgetown University graduates, uh, medical school. Uh, so they're physicians and, and then beyond that, psychiatrists, uh, beyond their medical degrees. And, uh, and director of, you know, a very prestigious, uh, you know, a national institute of psychiatry. So I don't think they say things lightly. And I, and, right. um, my view is they studied them, they took tests, they, they videotaped them, they studied the tapes. Um, if there were a lot of holes in this, they certainly would be more, I mean, they'd, they'd be all too happy to point them out, I'm sure. Right. And, and definitely, I mean, when somebody is experiencing PTSD, which is what they experienced, I mean, mm-hmm. they, you, you do a good job in the book of also uh, showing that, depicting the, someone that has PTSD. Uh, then that lends even more credence that 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 this for them was an actual physically real event. As oh, they there's no, no, it. no question in my mind about that. I mean, what you can, uh, you, I mean, there's a couple possibilities. This is like a massive misinterpretation, and this yeah. is what Annister said. But that's just not likely um, because it's so detailed that it's so sustained. Right. Um, so you, you're kind of left with. Uh, he 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 ruled out drugs. Um, so then you're left with, well, and and he ruled out that they were lying. Sure. So what are you left with? I mean, basically, what you're left with is what they say happened to them is what happened to them, and that's a direct quote from him. Did they ever do any, like a polygraph on them? They did. Yeah. Uh, they did, but um, uh, Elise was pregnant. So the polygraph uh, uh, fellow wouldn't uh, do it because there's an electrical impulse involved and they were afraid it would affect the fetus. So he, he wouldn't do it. But um, uh, Tom took a polygraph test and uh, passed it. Yeah. Rob, uh, Luke, was there anything that you wanted to add or anything you wanted to ask? Well, yeah, I wanted to – for me, the most um, con- convincing aspect, I guess, is the fact that going back to what you said earlier <clears> – <throat> excuse me. But how after the incident, they, they turned on the TV and they were watching for news, thinking that this was like a, a universal yeah. problem or an issue without even hesitation. Like they, they never for once, for one second thought this was some kind of internal weirdness that just happened to them or whatever. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they, they, they thought that, um, you know, that this was a worldwide event and you know they, it was, the world was ending, you know. <laughs> and and they were in, happened to be in the desert and caught some tail end of it, you know. <laughs> right, and and for me, like I think that's a, a that's a really logical thing that I think I would feel, but I would never be able to come up with without yeah. having experienced something that traumatic. I, and actually, when the um, when these things are landing, uh, the first thing that Elise thought was it was the Russians. <laughs> right, you know what the Russians were invading. Yeah. This is still like the late 80s. I mean, you know. Yeah. 
there's still the Soviet Union at that point. Uh, by the way, uh, R- Russia, Russia is probably, if you wanted to look at the number one threat in the world right now to the United States, it isn't China. Yeah. It's Russia. Yeah, it's true. By the way, I don't know if you just watched the news tonight about what's going on in Syria. I mean, they're building up forces. And, yeah, uh, that's scary. Uh, so, you know, they're pretty much alive and well. Yeah, the Cold War is back, unfortunately. Yeah. And I think we could do a whole show on that. Mm. <laughs> the or, reasons yep. and the causes. <laughs> or, or you could, and me and Rob will just sit here and listen. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> for, for the Giffords, and I understand also uh, that, they've, that they've come out with their real names now. Uh, yes. But for the Giffords, after the events that are depicted in the book, what has happened to them since? In the twenty-five years or so since the since the events, yeah, well, they you know they have um, uh, a number of children. Uh, the children are, are grown. They think that uh, Amberly, the the uh, the third child, is, is special. Um, they think that they're very much watched on a regular basis, and that their lives are monitored. Um, Elise, uh, during the hypnotic session, kept pulling at her. See it again. This is uh, a, another thing that's just very real so she's pointing at her her neck and so the, the doctor says you know why are you touching your neck why are you doing that and she says i can't tell you and so he asks in different ways and finally she says really loud she screams probes that's how they watch us that's how they know what we're doing and um she had had a mark on her neck after this had uh you know, after the experience. And, uh, uh, that's what came out in the hypnosis was that she had, uh, had a, a probe of some kind injected into her neck and that, uh, they were tracked. And this was some kind of way that they could be tracked. But again, it's just so eerie and weird to have her almost like self discovered herself. Do you know what I mean? Right. Under hypnosis. Like it just came to her then, you know, that's what these marks are about. I don't think consciously she knew. Had they ever gone and gotten those checked out or looked at? Because I know that, uh, well, Roger Lear, I mean, he's passed away now. He, he was an expert on that. Uh, did they ever, she, uh, someone I think is continuing his work, but did they ever get that, get those checked out or see if there was actually anything in there? No, I, I'll tell you what happened was uh, pretty much they were just, uh, they just, are pretty shy people pretty much to themselves and really yeah. to get them to go to the doctors, to get them to be examined, to get them to do, I mean, this was really outside the realm of who they are. Right. And, uh, by the time this was over hundreds of hours of tape, um, videotaped under hypnosis, uh, flown to South Carolina, flown to Washington, DC, you know, flown to, you know, so at, by the end of it, um, they'd had enough of this and just wanted to try to live normal lives. And that's one of the reasons that, uh, the uh, names in the, in the Mojave incident were Tom and Elise Gifford. Uh, their real names are Steve and Dawn Hess. And they're okay now with coming out about that and, and giving yes, some exposure uh, on it. They, they decided, uh, after a long period of time that, uh, that people that had similar experiences, um, had a right to know who they were, and that they were real people, and that uh, you know they appeared on coast to coast uh, about a week ago, and uh, they appeared on um, on um, Fade to Black and uh, 
and uh, uh, Betty Lewis, who I talked to about uh, on her program, uh, Rainbow Vision. So they did three, you know, pretty large shows. I think touched about six million people, six million listeners or so. Wow, that's that's real cool. I, the the way that you got this book published, um, we were talking about it a little bit before. Uh, but I kind of wanted to go on for the audience and like the way you got this book published was kind of a, a, a series of synchronicities in a way. Yeah, it's really, it's really, I mean, you know, I've been writing for a long, long time as we discussed earlier in the show. And, uh, so, you know, things generally have a pattern. You write a book, a publisher's interested in it. Uh, they, they publish it. You, you try to get them to publish a lot of copies and usually they don't publish as many as you'd like in the promotion, et cetera. But this uh, particular book, um, I, I had written uh, the Nick Carter series, which had a built-in audience, uh, you know, that was quite large, and um, and so this was, I think, the first book I did on my own under my name, and um, so it was almost self-published. It was uh, my literary agent had a, formed a publishing company along with a buddy of his, and and they published it. So it didn't really get uh, into bookstores or anything. It was called Searchers. And, um, and Betsy Lewis, who has a, a radio show in, I think, Minnesota, um, bought a copy maybe two years ago or so, I'm sorry, quite some time ago, you know, let's, let's say 20 years ago or so, at a yard sale for a dollar. <laughs> wow. So she picked it up, she put it on her bookshelf. Now, 20 years go by, she's uh, in her study trying to figure out, you know, what am I going to do for next week's programs and whatnot, upcoming shows. And she says the book just fell off the bookcase. She picked it up and said, you know, I never, let me read this thing. She read it in a sitting, called me two days later. I thought she wanted to interview me about my Jack Madsen series, a, a crime thriller series I had. And she goes, no, no, I want to interview you about the, the UFO alien abduction book. I said, well, I wrote that, you know, quite some time ago. It's out of print. She goes, I, mean, I know, but I, I think it's the best book I've ever read on the topic. So I said, yeah, sure, let's, let's do it. So literally, I didn't much know who she was or that she had a million followers or so. So I'm sort of making a hamburger for myself. <laughs> One evening after work and uh, with, the, with, the, uh, with the, the telephone between my shoulder and my neck, answering questions, you know, casually, and yeah, I guess probably in a very good way, you know, with, without a lot of tension and whatnot. And uh, next thing I know, it was an hour interview. Uh, three days later, the book is selling on eBay for $500 a copy. And <laughs> Did, you a Did you see any of that money? Did you see any of that money? No, no. Yeah. no when, when, it's, when it's like that, sold on eBay, right. the, the author doesn't see it. Because it's so, so rare, it's like out of print. It, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So then I see a half dozen reviews, and one of them is a lengthy review by a pretty uh, you know, well-known reviewer, and it says, the most frightening UFO book ever written. So I said, geez, you know, this is something. So I go to my current publisher, and that's how all this happened. So just instead of rewriting that book, you just wrote, wrote a, new, a new book from the source material. Yeah, I, what yeah. I did was uh, take the, I, I changed the epilogue. I, you know, I, gotcha. I updated it a bit, and uh, yeah, we had the Mojave incident. Wow, uh, that's really cool. <laughs> is it weird how things work out that way? Which, which by the way, is uh, number one in four categories on Amazon right now. 
let's talk a little bit about your other books um, as well. I mean, the the, mm-hmm. the, the Jack Matson series. Um, I have that right. That's the character's name. Yeah. Matson. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Please. I'm just curious about like because I, I I've I haven't read the books, but but you do draw I think from some real life situations and some real life uh, conspiracies. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's it's funny. I was a I mentioned to you I was a deputy sheriff for for uh, several years, yeah. and I transported federal prisoners. So a lot of that, you know, when I was doing it, believe me, I had a college degree from Georgetown University. It was forty five thousand dollars in debt, and I wasn't too happy. <laughs> <laughs> with my lot in life, uh, transporting prisoners. But for my writing, in the long run, it was the best thing that ever happened because you would never, ever, you know, meet these characters in real life. Um, you know, but again, if you're transporting federal prisoners, you meet hitmen, you meet terrorists, you meet some monstrous people and, and some misunderstood people as well. So uh, the, actually, the new Jack Matson book is about transhumans. Uh, at Princeton University, and uh, it's based on a lot of uh, real uh, technology, real experiments that are going on with the creation of super soldiers. And uh, my uh, unlicensed uh, detective, Jack Madsen, uh, winds up investigating the suicide of uh, a student at Princeton University who inexplicably jumps off a building and it turns out in real life that uh, the number of suicides at Princeton is about five times as high as any other Ivy League school. So mm. much so that they put hasps on the windows above the second floor so they can't be opened all the way. Isn't that something? Uh, so, uh, um, so, must uh, be a lot of stress it, over there. Yeah. I guess. Uh. So anyway, uh, but that's life in New Jersey, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, so anyway... Um, Jack Madsen is investigating the suicide and winds up stumbling onto uh, uh, secret government experiments going on in uh, forestal laboratories, which is real. And uh, it's about creating um, super soldiers. And these would be almost, well, they call them, it's based on Nazi technology that Joseph Mengele was working on, and they were called slaughter machines, creating something that just kills anything in sight. And then has a termination gene in it, so that it, uh, it, uh, you know, you can drop it behind enemy lines or into a city. Yeah. What is the uh, what is the Kafka Society about? Actually, it's about human trafficking, and uh, that takes place in New York. And uh, there really is a building in Chelsea called the Starrett Building, where above the ninth floor, the CIA, the FBI, ICE, and the rest, uh, many you know, the government agencies have a, a secret uh, 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 offices, and they're there together to make them work together. But, um, you know, you wouldn't know that. As a matter of fact, there are bums on the street that, you know, look like they're drunks or whatever, but really they're, they're uh, high-level security people that keep an eye on the building. <laughs> so the idea is that underneath, which is true, there's an underground railroad that they used to use uh, from the uh, Hudson River, which is nearby, to uh, move coal from barges and then onto trains. And in my book, uh, those same tunnels are used for human trafficking. And the Kafka Society is a group of international criminals that runs the uh, human trafficking uh, business worldwide out of the Starrett building because the head of the FBI is the head of the Kafka Society. 
Well, why did you choose the word, the name Kafka Society? Because I looked it up to, when I did a Google search on your book. Of course, there actually is a Kafka Society devoted to the works of Franz Kafka. Well, Kafka was an existentialist, and yeah. uh, basically existentialists, and you know, I'm, I'm not doing them any justice with this explanation, but <laughs> basically um, the idea would be your values are no better than my values, and my values are no better than yours that if we see life differently, there is no good and there is no evil. There's just the way you perceive existence. And so if you're uh, a particular group of people that are nihilists and think human trafficking is okay and murder is okay, et cetera, what better name than the Kafka Society? Well, in, in, your, in your works, uh, which do you like? I mean, writing a, a, a mixture of fiction and nonfiction, which do you prefer to write? Uh, I, I really prefer fiction these days, and the yeah. reason is I can blend the two. Right. And, um, you know, with a book like uh, Mojave Incident or Il Dottore, uh, The Double Life of a Mafia Doctor, or Presidential Lessons in Leadership, a business book that I wrote, I mean, you're really very confined in what you, you, know, you, you have to, you know, you can't, you can't uh, deviate from the facts. Right. And that, I find that restrictive. Whereas in um, fiction, you know, you can really take it to uh, uh, levels that you, you might not get at otherwise. Right, and you can still bring the, the point, your point across if you're talking about some about an actual historical event or you're talking about exactly. uh, something that, that may exist and you want to get kind of like that idea out there with it. Precisely, yeah. Yeah, that's that's very interesting. Uh, for you, what's uh, what's next for you? And uh, like, what what do you hope uh, is is going to happen with this book? Do you think more people are going to come forward with stories? I, I do, and I think uh, actually, um, it, hopefully, we'll, we'll try to see if we can't get a movie situation. Yeah, uh, there's been some we'll interest make a great from movie. yeah from uh, uh, Philippe uh, Mara who did uh, Communion. Yeah, uh, was interested in it. And actually, I'm in negotiations for uh, a movie about uh, a Dark Angel, which is my new book uh, coming out uh, May first. Oh, okay. Is that is that the that's the newest Jack Matson series? Yeah, it is. It's the okay. one set in Princeton University with, about the, the transhumans. The trans, yeah, transhumanism is a is a huge topic right now. It is. There's a lot of stuff going on. What What do you think about about transhumanism? Do you think that there's do you think that it's a lot of uh, fantasy, or, or do you think oh, that there's no, something no, to no, it? Oh, no, 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 I, I think that, I mean, you're cloning sheep uh, 20 years yeah. ago. So somebody's cloning humans somewhere. Right. Yeah, th- there's a lot of different kinds, though. You have, like, people that want to j- become robots, and you have the uh, the other transhumanism where they want to in- improve our gene pool, basically. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, I mean there's, there's a couple of ways to go about it. That's correct, yeah. Yeah. For, for for me, I, I, it, it kind of scares me because some of it I think is pie in the sky, but then some of it I think is like, well, who's going to get these modifications? It's going to be the people that can pay for it, you know? Sure, of course. And then what well, happens I mean, to society it, then? Let, let's look at high-tech computers. Yeah. I mean, if you don't have a computer in this society these days, I mean, you're pretty much out of the mainstream. But who can afford, I mean, at lower income levels, to keep pace. And so at the end, the more rapid that technology gets, the fewer people have access to it. Right. Yeah, exactly. In which case you have a, a privileged class of information. Yeah. 
It's true. And we were definitely going into a brave new world, that's for sure. Uh, absolutely. And, and much faster than most people think. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Ron, I'd love to uh, to have you back on at some point, uh, especially talk about the uh, this next book that you have on, because it sounds like we could really de- delve into that topic. I- I'd be delighted. I think um, I-, I think that um, probably Felicia from Jane Westman's office gave you a call about this. That's where... Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what, you just uh, get back to her, and um, and uh, I'd be delighted to uh, to be back with you. It was a great interview. I enjoyed it. Well, absolutely. Thank you. And also, uh, where can people get the book and uh, and contact you or, or your website? Sure. It's called Mojave Incident, and it's not too easy to spell. M-O-J-A-V-E, Incident. And uh, my name is Ron Felber, F-E-L-B-E-R. And uh, you can have my website at www.ronfelber.com. All right, excellent. It's available at Amazon or Barnes and Noble. The Mojave Incident. Yep, and I, I highly recommend it as well. It's a very, it's a very good book. It'll, it'll keep you, it'll keep you reading for sure. I, I breezed through it in like three days, I think. <laughs> so, well, thanks so much. Yeah, absolutely. Stay on the line for us. We're going to close this section out, guys. We'll be right back on Conspiracy Normal. All right. Um, could one of the two of you guys kind of give me a little <laughs> recap of what happened? I, I was. On Facebook, I'm sorry. It, it was deep. It was deep material, dude. It was it was deep, and I was deep into it. I'm not gonna lie. Like you, I didn't hear any of that. You, you you were posting pictures of Donald Trump having sex with his daughter. <laughs> Look at virtual reality images of a wall. I, I, I don't usually get You're into too, the political too busy thing with that, but I don't usually get into the political thing. But that was pretty damn funny. <laughs> well, Rob, I kind of like how you explained it before. So explain it a little bit here to Luke. Okay, uh, brief synopsis. Uh, you got a couple living out in the desert. Okay. Well, they're, they're going from the city to the desert. To the like desert. An excursion. And, right. Okay. They're, yeah, they're out there on this excursion in the desert. And these crazy gremlin-like monkey creatures appear out of nowhere and start crawling all over. And then you got these nine, like, or was it nine? Yeah, it was nine. Nine, uh, nine of these like figures. Yeah, was, sort of glowing, angelic, yeah. but also sort of great alien esque sort of beings that appear, and then they start like uh, messing with their heads and making them relive all the worst times of their lives, and just pushing them to these like extreme human emotions. And after that, they you know they had been they they went to therapists obviously and like psychiatrists and were analyzed and. They've done hypnosis therapy and more stuff has been kind of dredged up out of it. And right. it's just a crazy, bizarre story. Horrific to have experienced. So if there were gremlins on top of the trailer how and, and there are no windows seeing, you know, up to your roof, then how did they know what these creatures look like on top of the RV? Oh, they could, they they all, could see it through the window. Yeah, they, they, they were outside in the yard crawling up it. over top. Yeah. Like, oh, oh. Okay, yeah, they okay. saw it. They they saw that happen, and then they got into the back of the camper. But what is kind of your insights on that? Oh, Ron, I like. What did you think of, of that? Uh, That's of that story. I like that you asked the um um the the comparative hallucinogenic sort of right. qualities because I I don't think that was addressed in the book, and I do definitely see the um similarities there, and I I gotta kind of respectfully disagree with Ron on the um. Uh, shared experiences on hallucinogenic drugs. From my own personal experiences, I've I've you know been on a trip or two here and there with a friend or two, and 
it takes the tiniest suggestion or the tiniest cultural like um reference or just being just growing up with the same generation can trigger like the same sort of stuff hallucinate you know hallucinations yeah. between yeah, people. i heard that part actually yeah i agree yeah it, it's it's interesting um you know, I was I was looking at it when I read that scene. What, like I said, what really grabbed me was as they're going through this horrendous experience, and then all of a sudden, as I told Ron, there's this. They have this urge to urinate. Both of them do, and then all of a sudden, it just shifts to this angelic experience, and it it it. it it almost reads just like one of those ayahuasca experiences where somebody confronts their right. demons and but, then all of a sudden. And you were careful to also peace. say like maybe that was one door and this is another door. It could be something else yeah. affecting them that way. Right. I, 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 there's what things happened is, is that they were actually at that point when they actually fell asleep, they were actually on board this craft and then there's other experiences but like with all of this stuff, and I like really what he does because he just reports what it is they experienced, not necessarily. He really doesn't put an um, an, ideology. an interpretation yeah. or an ideology that say, "Well, it's all the extraterrestrial hypothesis." I mean, he looks at it that just from what happened, and and like I said before, any of these cases, there's always this real high strangeness aspect. You know, like Adam Rightly says. <laughs> Some high, some high strangeness going on, Adam. Yeah, I mean, in in every case, so it's just like, almost just like you can't really say that there's like just the alien scientist aspect of it. You know, we've talked about this with Soraya. We've talked about this with other people as well. Um, so it's just fascinating the parallels there. Mm-hmm. It's like because I mean, you guys could probably you guys could talk to this better. In that ayahuasca experience, isn't there that experience where you start to uh, relive certain things and you're confronted with your fears and your well, like, deepest, darkest emotions? Yeah, that's that's what my bro was saying with uh, with shrooms, which bro, is like, dude. which is well, pretty. That's what I was going to say. I've never done close. ayahuasca, but shrooms, yeah, that's I mean, pretty common. Yeah. Not many of us have done ayahuasca. Right. <laughs> that's that's like the extreme. That's like shrooms right. times that's 10. scary. Yeah, <laughs> I've only talked to one. We've talked to one person that I, the one person that I know of that has done ayahuasca. But it's become a fairly common thing now because it's it's moved its way to the yeah, United yeah, States. Totally. Yeah, you heard uh, yeah, Adam people Ellenboss. People using it in, th- in therapy. You heard Adam Ellenboss telling us that he could get us a, a circle of shamans and the whole ayahuasca experience just on call whenever we wanted it as long as we had the money. Right. It was like 1500 or something. Right, exactly. Yeah, it, it's crazy money. And again, you know, the money being well, available yeah, I was about to, to suggest we do it until you said that. <laughs> well, well, I mean, but I mean, but it, I guess it would be the experience of a lifetime too. At the same time, you get to yeah. for for fifteen hundred dollars. <laughs> well, you know, here's one thing too. Um, in occult literature, there's 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 the same kind of aspects you have the different uh, levels in the Kabbalah, I believe at one point you, you do um, you do confront your demons and then you go to the, onto the higher planes. Yeah, and that, so there's, there's that aspect as well. That That's what I was talking about with, with the whole Buddhist literature too. Like that's what happens to you yeah. when you go to the 10 levels of hell. Like 
your all of the negative things have culminated on your spirit or like stripped from you while you advance through the levels of hell and go back up to the to the top level and, and then be reincarnated afterward. Well, I think that's one of the most important elements of um hallucinogenics properties in general is just forcing you to face things from the past and then let them go. And I think um I think a lot of religion and spirituality serves the same purpose for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. Just a lot slower process. You know, I talk about a lot about we talk about a lot about the altered states of consciousness aspect of this. And it really sounds like you you kind of denigrating the idea that someone's idea that there's this alien abduction, but not at all. Because it's possible that hey, they could have just been in the wrong place at the right time. Some guys come out with some aerosolized something, maybe BZ, spray them with it. And then all of a sudden, because they're in that altered state, they begin to access other realms and other realities because that was one of the methods where you can. <laughs> I, I kind of wish that someone would come spray Nashville with BZ. That would be a cool city. Yeah, you might have more like furry parties, right? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Man, if if I if I was not sober at that party, I would have freaked out. I would have freaked out. What if so you took bad. some BZ? Like, what if you took some buzz, man? Right, right when you when you went into the furry <laughs> no, party? No, 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 no. I wouldn't have been able to stay. <laughs> you'd be living in a cave for sure. You'd like you like do evolve into a monkey, I right? Would. <laughs> I, I do want to say before we go um, about the Kalamazoo shooting. Uh, as everybody knows, I'm sure at this point, there was a guy that he was an Uber driver and he shot like eight people in Kalamazoo, Michigan, just at random Two have survived the first woman that he shot. And apparently it's come out now that he was aiming for her kids and she walked in front of them. <laughs> yeah. That's the most part. There's like children and toddlers yeah. involved. And the second one was the 14-year-old girl where he just shot, like, five people in this parking lot of a Cracker Barrel. And apparently just at random. Like, and apparently he switched cars as well. But here's an aspect of this, and I want to make this point, that I didn't see much coverage on the mm, news I of didn't this. either. No, no. I just saw it on social media, and that's it. Yeah, I mean, apparently, I mean, you know, like I've seen a clip of uh, Anderson Cooper talking to the guy who was actually in the in the car with the Uber driver when he was, and he was apparently he was got a phone call, and then he started driving all erratically, and the guy at one point jumped out when he came to a stop and ran away. Yeah, that guy. I've seen interviews with that guy, but I haven't seen. I, I didn't see any interviews with family members, and I thought on Saturday when this happened. This was going to be all over the place. It was going to be all over the news, and it wasn't. It was all South Carolina primary. It was all Donald Trump, you know. And yeah. then all of a sudden, that's just nothing. And I'm reminded, you guys remember we talked about it on the show, the news, the newscaster and the cameraman that were killed on camera, yeah, and the other person that was wounded, and there was wall-to-wall coverage for like two days nonstop. You had like her dad out there talking about uh, guns and uh, how we need to get rid of guns and all this stuff. And then like the, the 
And her dad later turned out to be that had a career as an actor, which was interesting. And then there was like the the fiance that was crying about her and said that he had month anniversaries because they hadn't been together for a year, and he had this this picture album that he showed on TV and acted really weird and re- real strange. None of that with the Kalamazoo stuff. So it's really making me think right now, and I really don't want to think about it, that maybe that thing was not real and that was completely staged because this guy in Michigan killed a lot more people, hardly any coverage. Yeah. And this guy killed two people, <laughs> wounded one, wall to wall for two, three days. And, and you know, it, it's bizarre. The, it's the same with what I found out with Jerry Springer's show, too. I know it's, it's crazy to make that uh, connection, but yeah. you know, like I, I have uh, someone that I don't really like know super well personally, but I have went to his show. He's a, like a local DJ here in Nashville. He was on the Jerry Springer show, and yeah. you know they're told to just overreact, yeah, ham it up. Yeah, exactly. Like they they uh, if you got two best friends on the show together, they just swing on each other. You know. Like, dude, I'm gonna hit you, and you know, like, dude, you know, I'm gonna hit you too. That's what's gonna happen right now. Like, we're 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 acting this out. We're gonna try to be like 100% true with it. And and I will say this: some of the people that I've seen on the Jerry Springer show are better actors than what I've seen in movies. It's totally convincing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, and these these are just your run of the mill, average, like common people that just yeah. spread across the nation. You know. <laughs> And I, and I don't want to. I don't want to go too far into like the the crisis actor thing because I think people take that way too far. But God, I mean, there might be something to that because well, it is just like the dichotomy between those two incidents. One thing I want to kind of propose is um, back in I think it was the seventies. There was uh, like this rash outbreak of streakers on live TV, and they kept covering it and it got worse and worse. And finally the networks kind of got together and they were like, yeah, we're just going to, if this happens, we just turn the cameras. We're not going to focus on it. And then it goes and it went away. So every time there's a shooting and somebody who is looking for attention gets attention and it works in their favor and the media covers it. I wonder, does it do us any good to know about it or not? Or does it just kind of exacerbate the whole situation? Yeah. And that, that's a good point. And I'm not saying that that's why it's getting ignored, but if it is getting ignored, I hope I hope that's why. I do, too. I do, too, because it really makes me think. Because, I mean, I was definitely, as far as the Virginia shooting back last year in August, I was definitely 50-50 on that. Like, it could be real. It could not be. But it's mm-hmm. almost like this incident where you know it was this guy. It's pretty obvious. They got him in custody. He didn't put a bullet in his head. And straightforward. Well, that doesn't get as much coverage. It doesn't. It as doesn't, the other one. It doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't uh, help anyone's agenda. No one's pissed off at Uber except for the taxi companies. Yeah, but still, the gun thing is there still, though. Yeah, but it's so. And and, and I thought about this too. Like, uh, remember San Bernardino and what happened there? And then, but like a few was it a week and a half before that? You had that shooting at the Colorado Planned Parenthood mm-hmm. and they didn't uh 
that really, really wasn't covered that much either. Right. So, I don't know what's going on. All right. I think we're going to call it. Uh, we're going to be back in here in the studio in a few days. Uh, we're going to talk to Robert Sullivan the fourth again, and we're going to talk about the occult and kind of like uh, a little history of Western occultism and uh, have a good time. Maybe mention Aleister Crowley, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. I'm sure that'll some, come up. At some I point. need some more Satan in my life lately, dude. My, <laughs> seriously, like my my life has gotten a little dull lately. I need some Satan. <laughs> well, I'm hoping here at some point to actually go out and see the witch. Maybe do a review on it yeah, on the show. I would have much rather watched that than Deadpool. <laughs> Did you watch Deadpool? Yes. It 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 wasn't I mean like it was funny. Don't Luke's get me, critiques. Yeah, it, it was funny, don't get me wrong, but it it to me was basically just like another friggin' comic movie. Just a little bit more vulgar. Yeah, just okay. with bad words. Let me let me ask you this. Are you familiar with the comics? Uh, no, not at all. I'm not either. Okay, I was hoping you were. Yeah, I was wondering if all the over the top R rated stuff was just tied into the the comics, or if it was like a shock value thing. It, it well, um, from what I could see, um, it had no, it had no, it nothing to do with the other characters or anything like that. It was all just him as a personal character. Like it, it was all just pertaining to him. All of his vulgar humor was just pertaining to him. It wasn't anything to do. Like he did make a a, a couple like um, references toward like X Men characters and stuff like that. But right. but other than that, it was all just humor to do with him. I think we need to do Luke's like movie, yeah, Luke, the movie, movie critics, corner. yeah, <laughs> movie corner, dude. There are not many movies that I love, so that would that would be a short. You like tra- that makes you a good critic. You didn't like Trash Humpers. Uh, I thought that was your favorite movie. I do like trash numbers actually to be to, to be to be a hundred percent honest with you. I do like it. I, I would watch it again. And and that's a lot more than I could say for some of these movies that are coming out that you know, I, I would only watch one time and be done with it forever. Yeah, uh, I hear you. All right, guys. Well let's call it uh let's call it a night and uh we will see you guys in a few days, hopefully, on Conspiranormal. Do the check. Check, check. Yo, yo, hey, hey, one, two.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. <laughs> 